Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today, we have an exciting guest from San Diego. Her name is Jill Schultz. But before I introduce our guest, I want to introduce my book, which is called A Gift from Adversity, which is the same title as this podcast, A Gift from Adversity. This is available on Amazon. The subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I published this book, I got a lot of messages from many people from all over the world sharing their stories of adversity. I felt very compelled to create a space where it's safe and then where we can brainstorm about how we can combat these adversities together. And it's been wonderful to have many guests from all over the world. So let's invite Jill today. Hi, Hi, Jill. Thank you so much for being here. I just got chills when you were talking about your book. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Jill, can you tell us who you are, where you're coming in today from, and then also what you do and if you have any social um, that we can follow or learn more about you. Yes. So my name is Jill Schultz and I do live in San Diego, California. I feel blessed every day to live here. I drive around after 25 years and say, oh my God, I can't believe I get to live here because it's so fantastic. And I am a serial entrepreneur. I have four businesses and um, I have a wine business. I have an event business. I do vacation rentals. And then my new endeavor is around my book, just like you're doing, you know, speaking and, and sharing your story so that people can overcome whatever adversity they have been dealing with. So that's a little bit about me. Oh, social media, Jill E. Schultz. Yeah, Jill, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook as Jill E. Schultz. Got it. So make sure listeners follow her Instagram and then the website is also jilleschultz.com. Got it. Yep. Well, let's dive into our first question, which is the adversity. So Jill, can you tell our audience, what was your adversity? Yeah. So before I go into that, I really want to take a minute and set the stage because the conversation that we're about to have is a conversation that people aren't having. My story is um, not uncommon, but it's a story that people are not addressing. So if you're hearing this for the first time, or if you're remembering something for the first time and you're triggered, I want to make sure that you get support. That's the most important thing to me is that you're supported. And there are lots of um, different organizations that you can call. RAIN is one of them that I like to talk about, R-A-I-N-N. Um, so, or find a therapist, somebody to talk to if you feel triggered by anything that I'm saying. Okay. Thank you for letting me, letting me preference that. Um, so I'm so grateful for the Me Too movement because I feel like people now have an opportunity to share their story about sexual trauma way easier than they were, you know, five, 10 years ago. And that's how my story, my story starts. I was molested as a, as a child, I was three or four years old. I don't remember who did it. Um, but how my story changes is I was the little girl who, because of what somebody taught me to do, 
I innocently and curiously experimented sexually with other children. And I lived with massive shame for 41 years. And so, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm just excited that now I get to vulnerably share my story because it's way more common than you can even imagine and really bring it out into the light because shame cannot live in the light. So that's a little bit about um, my story, Jury. Well, thank you so much, Jill, uh, for stating the reference at the beginning. Um, it's very important that, as you said, that if you get triggered, that you know where to go to, what is the support. Now, let's talk about your sexual, uh, child sexual abuse experience. And then I'm a survivor myself. And first of all, I'm very sorry that happened. And my question is, you said you don't remember, but you remember when you were like age-wise, like three to four, you mentioned, do you have any kind of memory? No, um, I, I have flashes of memories, but nothing is ever really solid. And I've done a lot of work around it. Um, but I know that it happened because I knew way too much about sex as a little girl. And so I started acting out in between the ages of seven and 12 was when I was experimenting and doing what somebody had taught me to do. So I don't remember at all who did it. And they often say that if you've had an experience like that and you don't remember, it's probably because it was somebody very, very close to you, somebody that you really loved and really trusted and you've blocked it because of that reason. So my experience is that um, for you to know and for audience to know is a lot of things happened when I was awake and then when I was also asleep. Mm -hmm. And my experience that um, getting like overstimulated constantly sexually and then getting aroused um, by force, um, it really... I, I, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a specialist at all, but I feel just my experience, it really wires your brain completely differently, um, especially we talk about early childhood education, we talk about like you no know, child development and neuro, and then like when you have massive sexual exposure as a child, I'm 47 right now, but I feel like it sustains so much because of it just programs that way. Well, the thing with sexual trauma and, and that sort of stimulation is it felt good, you know? So you, as a child, you only do what you know. You only do what people tell you to do. And so that's the reason that I was out experimenting because I knew it felt good and somebody showed me to do it. You know, and as, as, a, as a young child, you don't know it's wrong, right? So what happened after you had experience but blocked? And you mentioned about other child, other experience and stuff. And then as a teen and as an adult, like how did this trauma um, influence your behavior? 
Yeah, it manifested in a lot of different ways. Um, one way that it manifested was that I wasn't connecting with men. And I, a man would walk in the room and look at me and I would immediately look down because I did not want a man to see me. I thought, if how could a man love me if he if he knew what I had done? Like I carried so much shame around what happened. And now I get to say, how can a, how can a man not love me? knowing what I've been through and what I've accomplished. And another way that it manifested, it's, it's manifested in self-esteem. Um, you know, it's manifested in success in my businesses, relationships, and it also manifested in an eating disorder. I ha I was bulimic until I was 41 years old. So, you know, there are a lot of different ways that sexual trauma can manifest in a person and eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia are, are two of them self-harming. So cutting that type of thing, um, sexual promiscuity, um, alcohol and drug abuse. You know, those are just some of the ways that people deal with the trauma that they've been through as, as children. And so really for me, it was around relationships with men my, the success of my businesses and what I felt like I deserved or what I didn't deserve and, and the eating disorder. So is it like, do you remember like when these disorders and then these things that you mentioned started, like when you are maybe teens, um, early adulthood, what would you say? Do you, do you remember like, maybe realizing something is wrong? Yeah, the the bulimia started when I was in in um, us in high school. But I remember when I was about, I was probably in like fourth grade and I was invited to go to a pool party. And I had such shame around my my body. Like I had this distorted body image of myself. I was like a, I don't even know what, how old you are in fourth grade. What is that? Like 10, maybe I thought I was so fat and like, I just had, and I wasn't like, I was a normal, a normal child. So, um, I, I really remember that occurrence happening and, and feeling like this, some, something can't be right here, you know? And then in high school is when I started to, uh, binge and purge in regards to relationship with men, that, that one's hard for me to pinpoint because I had, um, a really beautiful first love. Like it was really a special relationship. And I know people talk about their first loves, but I really feel like that was the most unconditional love anybody had ever shown me. And I guess after that relationship ended, just there a, a whole level of insecurity started coming up around myself and and attracting men and i would go years without being in relationships you know so it really it really kind of manifested in a weird way but when i turned 33 that's when i was like okay you need to you need to look at this because i was really having um really really had insecurity around men. And like I said, I never wanted a man to really see me. So, um, and, and like I said, that was around age 33 that all of that happened. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much. So you mentioned earlier about like, you know, men look at men and then I kind of look down and stuff. So how is Excuse me. relationship? You said you had a good one, but then also for myself, like to just to share, like I really, especially like when I was teen or younger, didn't have long-term relationship. And then I have two marriages and two divorces. And then um, it the relationship is really hard for, um, I'm not sure if it's like there's a hard data or anything, but especially when you didn't have healthy sexual relationship with your first love, obviously, um, or in an appropriate way. And then we as a survivor, me too, um, obviously were like completely violated. And then the boundary and, you know, self-respect, those things are completely gone. So you kind of mentioned when I was looking at your bio about acting out. Can you talk a little bit about it? And in terms of, of yourself, now you look at it, maybe not not even with, um, not even just the friends, I mean, like the boyfriend relationship, but then friends, I do that sometimes when some, especially when I was younger, when I get too close, I get scared. I get really scared and I just cut them off or block them and stuff. Like, can you, um, I don't know if you have similar experience with regardless of gender. Yeah, I, no, actually my female relationships have always been extremely healthy. I have a very, very, I have a large group of friends and I have my, uh, I, I asked and this is kind of a fun exercise to do. I asked my friends one time to, to explain what I was like to them in three to five words. And one of the words that came up was loyal. And so I'm very loyal to, to my, to my friends. And it's always been female friends that I've been able to connect with and be very close with. It was always men, like even up until recently, um, if there's a man that I'm attracted to, I immediately shut down. Like I, I'm a very outgoing, I'm funny. I'm, you know, I, I think I have a great personality, but when I'm around somebody that I'm attracted to, I'm immediately like shut down. Like, I don't know what to say. I feel awkward. I feel, you know, so that's actually something that I'm, I'm still working on and I'm trying to be more playful and know that me having a conversation with a man doesn't mean we're getting married. It just means that I get to be playful and fun and flirty and, and, and just have it be what it is. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a long journey to, to overcome that. So I totally resonate with you on that. It's uh, such an unknown things. And then not talked about, like you said, at the beginning of this conversation, um, how we were shunned and then not really encouraged to talk about this. And then um, the, you know, misconception of yourself as well as society. And then I faced it multiple times that when I shared my sexual abuse trauma and then my book is out, my podcast is out. So people know, and then I don't mind because that's really what happened to me and not who I am. 
But sometimes when you get close to people, I don't know if that happened to you ever. Um, sometimes people use it against you. And that had happened to me a couple of times after I shared my trauma. Oh, you are saying this to attack me or to correct me or to like, you know, do these things because of your trauma, which has nothing to do with. So there's like a fine balance of like, second and third shock waves that I'm experiencing because first of all you are traumatized but then not being understood not being heard that's another like the second shock wave and then the third maybe more multiple layers of trauma is perpetrator would manipulate in my case my father was manipulating everyone that I was ungrateful I was a traitor and then my mom didn't believe me. So those are the multiple magnitude of layers. So when you are growing up, I don't know, in America, were you supported? Did you feel heard? Uh, did you have good resources or did you feel rejected? Yeah. So I have a very loving family. Uh, my parents are wonderful. Very, very, very close family. So I don't, it wasn't that I didn't feel supported. I just didn't talk about it. You know, I, I didn't feel, well, for, I was so ashamed of it that I wasn't talking about it. You know, I was hiding it and I was pushing it down as far as I could because I didn't want to have to address it. So I feel like I've had a different experience around that. And I feel like every time that I've shared my story since then, the, the level of compassion and love that has been on the other side of that has been a true gift. So I, I feel like my experience has been a little bit different than yours. And I'm really sorry that, that you've had the experience that you, that you've had and that people have used that against you. And, you know, I, I, I haven't had that experience. Yeah. Even like last year that happened, it was just so traumatizing. And then um, it is because I feel well, first of all, people can use anything, you know, against you. But, you know, this is something that I think what you said was very true, that it's not talked about enough. And then organization like RAIN and then another one called Darkness to Light um, is really advocating for the uh, victims and the education um, just to let you and audience know darkness. Yeah, two. I'm writing that down. Darkness to light. But two is number two instead of T-O. Okay, darkness to light. To light. Ali Raisman, who won gold medal for the Olympic U.S. gymnastic champion. I don't know if you heard a case about uh, doctors molesting all these athletes. Um, so Ali Raisman was sexually abused by the doctors uh, that was recognized by the U.S. Olympic team. And then um, all these top athletes were, when they were getting medical exams, um, sexually assaulted. And oh. So um, Darkness to Light is an organization that Ali actually um, advocates for. And then it gives the training and stuff. So um, I feel like these are the platforms that you mentioned about RAIN as well. Um, the people are more understanding yes this happens yes it's preventable um and yes it has a long lasting impact now 
are you working with some victims or like no recognizing so what is your book um talk about thank you yeah my book is coming out november 1st so i'm very very excited and it's called liberating releasing the dark cloud of shame and i just i've noticed that as i share my story i'm number one blown away by the number of people that are like that's my story too like it is unbelievable to me um, and I do have people that come to me and, and want to share their story as well. Um, I'm sure that as the book comes out, that's going to be more and more um, a, a, an occurrence that happens more and more. Um, but right now, really, the community that I'm sharing my story in is part of my coaching programs and things like that. So those are the only people right now that are really coming to me and saying, Hey, that was my story too. But like I said, I'm, I'm sure after the book comes out, just like you, you know, you have had so many people come to you and share their stories of, of adversity and um, which is so incredible. Like you probably have two or three more books that you can write with all the stories that people have shared with you. Yeah. Thank you. So Joe, let's, um, let me ask you some questions because I've had some guests um, that talked about child sex abuse, um, but it's just like as a fellow survivor of child sex abuse, um, how would you describe to somebody who have like obviously, fortunately, like never experienced this, but um, have some compassion to listen to us, like what are the most difficult things now as an adult and looking back, how it affected you long-term and what is the most struggle right now for you? Well, the long-term was just holding it all in and not talking about it and thinking that if I did talk about it, I was going to be seen as a monster and a pedophile as a little child in between the ages of seven and 12, I literally thought I was a monster and I thought I was a pedophile. And so that's another thing that buried the shame so deep in me because I thought, how can I, how can I tell people this? If I tell people this, they're going to, you know, they're going to think those things about me. Um, now, because I have done so much work around this, I'm set free. Like I don't have anything right now that I can look at and say it's something that's holding me back because I have worked so hard to have self-love and have self-forgiveness for myself that now I, I feel like I have this beautiful blank canvas that I get to create my life around now because I've let all of that go. I used to, I say that I, I used to have this dark cloud and it was always there. I always had this dark cloud that followed me around. I'd wake up in the morning, it would be there. I'd go to sleep, it would be there. And it was just this looming shame that I had. And now I look for that cloud and it's gone. And it's the most beautiful thing to have been able to release all of that. So now uh, we're starting to talk about tools. Uh, let's move on to the second question, which is what are the tools that you use to overcome your adversity? Yeah, thank you. Um, I've done lots and lots and lots of work. I did a program called Landmark Education, which is a transformational program where it's really about looking inside and you know they say when you're pointing a finger at somebody else you have three pointing back at yourself so it's really about taking accountability for where you're at in your life not 
taking accountability for what happened to you, but taking accountability for now. Like I get to choose now how I get to live my life. I can let go of that. I get to let go of that and I get to move on with my life. I think that's really, really important. Um, I've seen three different therapists. Um, and the first one was when I was 33 years old and I realized that I wasn't connecting with men. I started seeing a therapist and I actually did landmark at the same time. And that sped up my therapy by thousands of years. I can't stress enough how doing that kind of deep transformational work will set you free. And then I was cured in my head. <laughs> and then when I was 41 and I was still bulimic, I'm like, you need to get a handle on this or you're going to die. And so that's when I went back to therapy. I saw him for about four years. And actually he's written a chapter in my book about um, how to talk to your children um, and what to say to them so that they're not targets, how to set boundaries. And if your child has been abused, what do you do? So I saw him for about four years and then I started doing this other really amazing program called Hardcore Leadership. And then I did their PhD program. It sounds very important. It's not really a PhD, but it's this transformational six month program that I did. And out of that, I really, really got that I get to forgive myself. I get to, I didn't love myself until I was 51 years old. I'm 55 now. It took until I was 51 years old for me to finally say, I get to forgive myself and I get to love myself. So um, what I would say to anybody is life happens outside your comfort zone. Look at the hard things in your life and face them head on and get the help that you need. You've got to talk to somebody about this. And I mentioned earlier that every time I went to talk about it, I thought the judgment was going to be just horrendous and the level of love and compassion and kindness that was on the other side of me sharing my story was unbelievable. So I want people to know you get to talk about this. You get to get help. You get to find somebody that you trust. You hire a therapist, do some of this other transformational work so that you can get the forgiveness, the self-forgiveness, you know, and, and move on and create a beautiful life for yourself. Thank you. And enlighten me about landmark education. I've never heard of it. And then you mentioned about pointing finger and then three fingers. What is that? Yeah. Well, when you're, when you're blaming somebody else for something and you're, you know, you did this, you have three fingers pointing back at you. So you really need to take accountability for your life and what's happening in your life and how you're handling things that are happening in your life. And in Landmark Education, it's it's um, this really beautiful program. And I, I went into thinking I was going to get help with my business. And I had this major transformational um, experience with really, it was in conjunction with going to therapy, it was the first time that I was really looking at my childhood trauma and starting to deal with it. So it's a beautiful program. And then on top of it, the hardcore leadership um, is also a, a similar form uh, to landmark education. I feel like for me, it was, um, it was deeper work, but I don't know if that's because I was finally ready to do that deeper work or if the program just really is, you know, an extension and a deeper opportunity for you to grow and learn and 
you know, um, get forgiveness for yourself and love yourself. And uh, Landmark Education is an international organization. So you can get access to that anywhere and uh, as well as the leadership program. And, you know, if COVID brought us one thing, it brought the world closer and smaller together in a way that you can do these programs virtually. You don't have to be in person anymore. So, you know, if you live in a small town, you know, like, how am I supposed to do, you know, that there are virtual opportunities to do that kind of work. Well, thank you so much, Jill. Um, I just want to mention a little bit about uh, the town of Foxville where I live. We had a history of this um, kind of like a public figure leadership person who passed um, a couple of years ago, but um, he, I would say 80s, um, molested dozens of boys. And um, what happened was nobody really told because he was leaderships and nobody believed and then I think um maybe a decade ago so that one of the victim who's grown came forward to the selectman meeting and told the story and they try to shun it they try to hide it because he was a leader in the mm -hmm. town nobody wanted to admit now they posted on Facebook page and many people, not only our town, but after he moved to Florida, came forward, he did this to many. Mm -hmm. What happened was um, they demolished the building where he was architect and then connected the bathroom and then boy bathroom in his office. Um, and it, I think raped many. Now, um, what happened was he was in late, like Alzheimer. Uh, stage when this came out so there was not so much justice to these victims mm -hmm. this documentary about it um it's getting a lot of attention but then what happened was which is brave that they uh, formed this child sex abuse awareness committee that they meet um every month uh comprised with um public safety officers um school committee um, civilian uh, charge leaders and then um, he structured making sure that they cover every aspect and all the town volunteers for instance sports coaches they have to go through darkness to like training mm. the employees of the town of Foxborough must complete darkness to like training and if they don't complete within certain days then they can't work so it's like a quarry, um, but then it's deeper. And I actually had to do it because I work with youth volunteering. And it's very interesting because it's a language that they talk about. It's $25. Anyone can get it online uh, to be certified darkness to light uh, training. Um, and you have to submit that as proof. But then as survivor myself, like, why would I have to take that? But it was very interesting because... A lot of parents, especially when we talk about this, um, they don't use the word vagina or penis to shy mm -hmm. away. So there's a case that um, the girl was getting arrested. My dad ate my cookie or something. And then um, basically parents are uh, abuser manipulating those words instead of vagina. So mm -hmm. um, nose, mouth, those are fine, but why not vagina? It's a parts, your, your body parts, and it's a medical term. So 
educating them, good touch, bad touch, and then um, really talking about it. Like, you know, and also there's a policy that if the youth is in the building, um, we have to have two adults um, within eyesight. And then also um, the baseball coaches, they cannot bring kids, like one kid who is not your family member alone and stuff mm-hmm. so those are like a, a policies that they're implementing so child sex abuse in a way is like you said really perpetrators are close in families and then people that you trust and those are most of the perpetrators uh, in terms of the child sex abuse adult sexual assault is a completely different case but yeah. then um when it comes to the child sex abuse it's education Sure. Like, I mean, like, I think it's bringing awareness, like, you know, education is important, conversation is important, and I think it's completely preventable. And then even though if it happens, if the child can advocate themselves and recognize that it's a crime, mm-hmm. that perpetrator can go to jail, federal prison, 25 to life, then... You, you should speak up and as a parent you shouldn't be afraid even if it's teacher even if it's like politician whoever like you know power authority people you should never be afraid to speak out and that's the the battle of it that yeah. we are so brainwashed and then perpetrator takes power over you so and as a child it's so scary to tell what happened to you yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up. I have three things I want to say about this. Number one, yes, use the appropriate words. You need to use penis. You need to use vagina. Cutesy names. You need to teach your children what they're called. And you need to have the conversation several times. A child cannot learn math by having one conversation. And we, we talk about, you know, having the birds and the bees conversation. And you have that one time you have to continue to have that conversation over and over and over again with your child so that they are armed to protect themselves and to set boundaries. Um, the last point I wanted to make is you were talking about boys and there's so there's several people that have written chapters in my book and there are three men that have written chapters in my book because this is very common as well for men being abused and there's a whole other level of shame around sexuality and what their sexuality is when they've experienced um and and uh, abuse from a man so you know, if, if you are a man and this has happened to you, you do get to get support too. And I feel like it's almost a, a greater stigma around men than it is for women when something like that has happened to them. So thank you so much for bringing up that because it's so important that we continue to talk to our kids and, you know, talk to them at the level that they understand, you know, when they're littler, you're going to be using, you know, more vague conversation, but as they get older, really being specific and, you know, child molesters will groom children. And so they will go through a process of doing things and saying things like, for example, one of the, one of the examples in the book is um, a, a coach taking a child home from a baseball game and him dropping his keys and saying, shit, I just dropped my keys. Don't tell your mom, don't tell your dad that I just swore. And so if the child doesn't say, um, doesn't go to the parent and tell that the coach swore, 
it's the first process in grooming. He's like, this child is not going to talk. So then he takes it to the next level and the next level and the next level, or having a little girl sitting on somebody's lap, brushing her hair is a very natural thing, but it gets the, the child comfortable being in personal, um, in a, in a close, close proximity with that person. So, um, having those conversations over and over again are so important. So thank you for bringing that up. Yes, absolutely. I had a p I had a piano teacher, music teacher sitting next to me and started to touch me uh, when I was in high school. I just remember that. And then it's interesting that you said, you know, oh, you start little by little mm -hmm. and then test that kid will speak out or not. Yeah. And if you don't, then they escalate. And then you're so 100% right. And thanks to the educations, um, there are a couple cases that came forward because of the education, because of um, we talk so much in our town about this um, yeah. there are cases. And then what happens is if there are more people, adults watching over these children and then more people, even kids level that they understand this is not OK. This is a crime that you can go to jail for. Yeah. Um, I think the perpetrator will get scared a little bit more than, you know, they are taking control over innocent. Yeah. And sometimes the child won't tell you, you know, you've got the stranger danger saying stranger danger, but most of the time it's not a stranger. So the child doesn't know to tell because it wasn't a stranger that has, you know, hurt them. So, yeah. Well, Jill, thank you very much for bringing this conversation to forefront. I know this is not easy conversation to either of us, but I am completely aware of what happened to me. And then I am getting a full punch of the effect of my child sex abuse, even at you know later stage of my life. I hope I have more, but... Um, at 47, I still have, like what you said, self-doubt. However, I model, act um, on the big movies and stuff. But then and when it comes to self-esteem, it's very low. And when it comes to self-love, like I don't put myself first. So those are the problems that, you know, I still need to work on at my age. So I really appreciate you not only talking about what happened to you in the past, but now, you know, how it affected and not such a resonating conversation. And I really appreciate you being so open about this issue. Well, thank you for having me. I, this has been a blessing for me as well. Great. So my last question is a gift that came from the adversity. So what would you say a gift that came from your adversity? That gift is now. That gift is now because now I get to share my story. I just wish when I was younger that somebody had written a book or I knew that I wasn't the only person or the only child that ever acted out like this. It would have changed so much in my life if I knew that I wasn't alone. And so now my story gets to be a gift for other people because I'm out there bearing my soul to save yours and to let you know that you're not alone and you get to get help and you get to get support. So for me, that is the real gift is now I get to, to help other people get set free from the shame. Thank you very much again. So my very last request for you, if somebody is now 
going through maybe yourself or your children unfortunately went through child sex abuse um what is your biggest advice to people who might be going through it right now yeah find somebody to talk to find somebody safe to talk to call one of the organizations i have a a really um pretty extensive uh resource list on my website the jilleschultz.com the resource section it's get help find somebody that you can reach out to and a lot of those are anonymous so you can call you know those hotlines and start talking about your story in a way that that helps you feel safe doing so so that is my biggest piece of advice is you get to get help you have to start talking about it you have to get it out of your body because shame cannot live in the light well thank you very much for that advice well thank you again and thank you to our audience for listening to another episode of uh, gift from adversity and we will see you next time thank you